It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. Welcome to Discover Your Spiritual Identity. On this episode, I'm going to share with you one of the names given to God's people that has been a supreme blessing in my life. The revelation associated with it has lifted me to a place of expectation and bold faith that has resulted in definite fruit in my life. I believe the same thing will happen for you. We're going to Deuteronomy 28, verse 13. In that passage, it says, The Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you shall be above only and shall not be beneath. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. He doesn't just invite you to attain that position. He's involved in the process. Supernaturally, he's reaching into your life to mold you and shape you into something useful for his kingdom that will be a threat against the kingdom of darkness and dominate the negatives that you're surrounded with in life. Now, it's interesting to see that this was spoken to Israel, and Israel was not already some kind of dominant empire in the world. In fact, in Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 and 7, God spoke to Israel, and he said this, that you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Now, listen to this next verse. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people for you were the least of all peoples. Isn't that amazing? So actually Israel was the tail and not the head, but God said, I'm going to make you the head and not the tail. They were the least of all nations. God picked out the most insignificant group of people and started a process that will ultimately end in Israel being the dominant nation in the Messianic era to come. This is just absolutely amazing, but it also shows me the heart of God and a pattern that we can expect to see replicated in our own lives personally as well. Because quite often God chooses the least and the last and the lowest and the really lost in order to lift them to a position of prominence and power in the kingdom of God. Don't discredit yourself because of a messed up past. Don't disqualify yourself because you don't have certain attributes that you think are necessary for success. God is in the business of taking people from the bottom to the top. And what you think may be a setback is really a setup. And what you think is a disappointment may be a divine appointment because God is weaving his purposes through your life. He's a creator. 
And he's going to create something in you that you never could have mustered within yourself. He said, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. So you have a certain sphere of influence, an area where you can impact the world in a very positive way for the kingdom of God. And within that role, in that sphere, God has ordained you for headship. Now to understand this better, let's roll the pages all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis, to the very start when God was unveiling this tendency within himself. When he created Adam, what substance did he use to make the first man, which was the highest expression of his creative genius in all that he brought forth in the very beginning? Man was the pinnacle, the very excellent expression of his artistic expertise. What did he use, though, to make man? Dust, the most worthless, the most valueless substance that he could have chosen. Had he made man out of the dirt, well, there's some value in dirt. You can plant seeds in it. You can grow fruits and flowers and various vegetation out of it. But dust, Dust has no value. Have you ever heard of a dust recycling plant? Of course not. Nobody wants it the first time, much less the second time, and it can't be used for any other purposes that have value. I believe that was intentional on God's part. He wanted to make his creature of highest worth that he had ordained to be the head of the created world by something that was at the tail of created substances. I call this the mustard seed principle in the word of God. Later on, when God walked on the earth in the form of his son, he said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which is indeed the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it becomes the greatest of all herbs. There you have it, this whole mystery about how God takes those who are at the bottom and lifts them to the top. And that not only is true within this life, but there's a universal aspect as well, how God is taking the world, which is most likely the lowest, most vile, most dark place in the entire universe, there's probably no place more unclean, more defiled, more satanically infested than the earth, the world, and all of its children of darkness that are under the covering of spiritual ignorance. What a heartbreaking place this is. And yet God's intentions for this world are ultimately for Jerusalem one of the most despised cities in the world, in Israel, one of the most despised nations in the world, to become the throne city of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, making it the head and not the tail. In man's estimation, and I'm talking about the unsaved, unredeemed world, much of which is anti-Semitic, in its thinking. And of course, so many nations in the world have sided with the Palestinians and, and there's anti-Semitic attitudes that go all through the UN. It matters little because God's plan will ultimately prevail. 
Now, let me take you into the lives of the patriarchs and show you something very interesting. It was always the underdog, so to speak, that was lifted to a position of headship in the patriarchal line. Abraham had two sons. One was Ishmael, the firstborn. The second was Isaac, who received the headship in the family. Isaac, the second son. Isaac had Jacob and Esau. Esau was literally the firstborn, the one destined to be the head, logically, and yet the headship passed to the second son, to Jacob. And so, again, a pattern with Jacob's offspring. His first son was Reuben, yet the headship passed all the way down to the 11th son, Joseph. Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh was literally the one, the firstborn, headed for the headship position in the family, and it passed to Ephraim. So we see a pattern here over and over again. There were many great empires in the world that subjected Israel to tailship, if you would. What happened? I thought Israel was supposed to be the head. Yes, it was supposed to be the head, I believe, the head politically, the head militarily, the head financially, the head educationally, the head scientifically, the head artistically. In every area of human experience, I believe Israel was to become the firstborn of all nations, the nation that would exemplify what happens when you walk in a covenant relationship with God. Israel was destined for that, chosen for that, anointed for that, to be the head of all nations, not just for the sake of dominance, but for the sake of influence, to influence other nations, to copy certain aspects of what brought them to that place of preeminence, which of course would be a relationship with Yahweh, with the Most High God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, what happened to understand how everything kind of fell apart. You've got to go back to Deuteronomy 28, 13, because we left out a very important part of the original promise, the condition. See, every promise is attached to a condition. And that first portion of the verse says, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you shall be above only and not be beneath. If, and a lot hinges on that two-letter word, if. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. There were 613 commandments in the Torah. And the curse of the law is found in Deuteronomy 27, 26. That verse says, Cursed be he that confirms not all the words of this law to do them. So, if the people failed in some commandments and succeeded in others, it was still inevitable that the whole thing would erode. No one could live a perfect life and eventually everything collapsed. And Israel became slaves to the Assyrians, then slaves to the Babylonians, then slaves to the Persians, and then slaves to the Grecians and slaves to the Romans. Five Gentile empires emerged on the scene that occupied the role of headship. Why? 
because Israel plunged into disobedience, into idolatry, into rampant sin, into rampant rebellion against the commandments of God and suffered the consequences. And God did warn them in Deuteronomy 28 in the section of that chapter that deals with curses that if they were disobedient, the opposite would happen. They would be the tail and not the head, which is, of course, what history proves took place. It looked impossible. It looked unredeemable. It looked like a dead end had been reached. But then the Son of God came. Then Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, walked in this world, and he came to do by grace what could not be accomplished through the law. God never forgot his original promise to Israel. Deuteronomy 28:13 was still something very much attended to in heaven, and it was a slow process of bringing it around victoriously on earth. Let me show you how the mustard seed principle was fulfilled even in Jesus' birth. He was born in Bethlehem. Micah 5, 2 says, Thou Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you be the least among all the thousands of Judah, yet out of you will come forth he that is to be ruler in Israel, even him whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Imagine that, that it was the least, it was little among the thousands of Judah. Bethlehem was probably the most insignificant, overlooked little community, and that's where the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was born to exalt that city to a place of eternal importance. God's showing it again, exactly how the kingdom of heaven moves in this world. And then not only was Jesus born in an insignificant city, he was born in an insignificant place in that city, not the best motel in town, but a stable, a place where animals were kept, probably on the outskirts of the city. But isn't that the nature of God? God is such a dramatist, and God loves to do things opposite to the way man thinks is necessary. Now, there's much I could say, much more I could say about the life of Jesus and how he revealed this mustard seed principle in the way he preached and acted and functioned and reacted but let me take you all the way to the cross. Now, I'm sure you would agree with me that Jesus is and was and ever will be the head of all things, the head of the entire creation, the head of the body of Christ. And yet, when he went to Golgotha, when he hung on the cross and absorbed the sin of the entire human race in a symbolic sense, and yet in a literal sense, as he absorbed all the vileness of humanity, he became more vile than the vilest person because he was the sum total of it all. And then he tasted death for every man. It overwhelmed him. The mouth of death swallowed him up. Thankfully, though, Three days later, he broke out of that prison of death and arose victorious and ascended to heaven, 
and gloriously sent back the power of the Holy Spirit into this world to change men's hearts so that we could fulfill his original purpose of being the head and not the tail, to bring forth a whole new level of interaction with humanity. But let me show you what happened in the resurrection is Ephesians chapter 1 verses 19 through 23 talks about the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which God wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come. And he put all things, remember those two words, all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This passage is so rich. Ephesians chapter one, verses 19 through 23. So the father raised the son up when he ascended up to heaven and reassumed the throne far above all things and put all things under his feet. That includes every battle you ever face. That includes every disappointment you ever have in life. That includes all the emotional struggles you go through, the depression, the discouragement, the fear, the lust, the pain, the misery, the guilt. It's all under his feet. And if Jesus lives in you, it's under your feet because he occupies that position now to share it with you. Watch this. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Another translation says this is a headship exercise throughout the church. And so he occupies that position of supremacy and authority to transfer it into the hearts of the redeemed of the Lord. And that's why Colossians 2 verses 9 and 10 says, in him or in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. And so whatever Jesus is, you share in. And if he's head over all things and all things are under his feet, well, let me explain it to you this way. It said he's head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the church and the body are one and the same. Listen to me closely. If you walked into a room to see someone and their head was on one side of the room and their body was on the other side of the room, would you uh, admit to me you have a serious problem here when the head is severed from the body? Because normally you find the body in the same place that the head is occupying. The head and the body are joined together. And so where the head is, you find the body also. I know that's utterly simplistic, but I'm trying to illustrate something. Where you find the head, you find the body. And if Jesus Christ, the head, has subjected every devil, every demon, Satan himself, the power of sin, the power of death, the power of the grave, the power of the curse, all these things are under his feet, then my beloved brethren, they are under your feet as well.
You are the head and not the tail. You may say, well, does that mean I'll never fail? No, it doesn't mean you'll never fail. Sometime you may blow it and fall flat on your face, but you are connected covenantally to a God who said he will make all things work together for your good. And he'll take the biggest upsets in your life and use them to set you up for a place of transformation. You will learn the nature of Christ. Listen, Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. And God uses the good stuff and the bad stuff in your life to conform you to his image to bring you forth in his likeness so that the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ is formed in you. Listen, there's so many ways I can apply this title to you, but what about ultimately and eternally, you're destined to be the head and not the tail in a universal sense, because he that overcomes shall inherit all things, the Bible said. He's king of kings and lord of lords, and you and I are the subordinate kings and subordinate lords that will rule and reign with him over a new creation that defies description. You are headed for ultimate victory, and you will vanquish all the failures and trials and tribulations you faced in life. Your enemy is destined for failure. You are destined for success. God said he would make you by all the tools he uses, the blood of Jesus, the word of God, the spirit of God, the name of the Lord, all these are tools and weapons he's using to form you and shape you into one who will be the head and not the tail, not only for time, but for eternity. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given His people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.